Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Being You, the show that, you know, finds out a little bit more about you. It's a, it's a place of motivation, inspiration, and perseveration to really to, to look at stories from, from those who have walked an amazing journey, to, to learn, to, to share, to, to really find out what makes people tick. And I'm so honored and privileged today to have this amazing, amazing, beautiful gentleman on the show today. Dr. Robert Saul. Now, Bob, Robert, was born in Chicago and grew up in Chicago area and later moved to Colorado, one of the most beautiful places in the world. A graduate of Colorado College and the University of Colorado School of Medicine. He completed pediatric training at Duke University Medical Center and genetic training at Greenwood Genetic Center. He is a professor of pediatrics uh, at Prisma Health Children's Hospital upstate and the University of South Carolina School of Medicine in Greenville. He has two grown children, Bradley and Ben, and he's been married to his wife, Jan, for over 33 years. What an inspiration. His books include My Children's Children, Raising Young Citizens in the Age of Columbine, All About Children and Thinking Developmentally, Nurturing Wellness in Children to Promote Lifelong Health. Amazing. And his latest book, Conscious, Conscious Parenting, Using the Parental Awareness Threshold, which was published in March last year. His grandchildren, Camilla and Asta, beautiful, keep him grounded and always working on behalf of children and families. Oh, Robert, so good to have you on, on the show. Thank you for your time and uh, really looking forward to, to chatting further. Thank you. It's my, my pleasure and my privilege to be here. Wonderful. Now, obviously, uh, uh, you know, we, we could be talking uh, for hours about um, what you've been up to and so forth, but I'm interested your journey and how you, how you got started in, into this world of, of pediatrics and, and then obviously into, into writing. Can you share with us a little bit how that journey came, came about? Sure. Let me try to give you a, a thumbnail of uh, <laughs> the, uh, what, I mean, when I graduated from medical school, I was very interested in children with disabilities uh, and special needs. So pediatrics seemed like a very logical fit. And after finishing my pediatric training, adding medical genetics on top of that seemed like a very logical fit. I loved uh, the ability to see children in all stages, in all, in all circumstances. Um, and I loved the challenge, uh, the academic challenge, of what was then the very beginning of medical genetics. Mm. Sort of did that for uh, an extended period of time and really loved what I was doing, but found out about 14, 15 years into my career that I sort of, to me, there was sort of a blank spot, a, a blind spot that I wasn't occupying. And I realized that part of that was I wasn't paying back to my community like I should. Now, physicians sort of can get so tied up in their work uh, and their families and their career, it's, it's easy to sort of put some things aside, but I really wanted to start doing something. And at that point, I heard, I heard 12 words at a talk that have forever changed me. I was, I was at a fundraiser where somebody was talking about what you should do for things that happen in your community. And for anything that happens in your community, you should say, I am the problem, I am the solution, I am the resource. And that really sort of grabbed me, but I wasn't quite sure how to do it, what, what that meant. So I went to the community and said, hey, put me in. I want to start doing some things. Um, and I, get, I was. I was very involved and, and maybe even smugly so. I thought, wow, this is good. I'm, I'm being a good citizen. Um, and then Columbine hit, 1999, April 20th. Uh, 
two, two teenagers go into a school, kill 13 people, and then kill themselves. How could that happen? Could that happen in my community? Yes. Could that, what have I done to make it different so that it might not happen? Not enough. So I really felt marching orders at that point and started writing a series of articles uh, about what each of us could do to improve our community. And over the course of 12, 13 years, wrote over 160 articles for the local newspapers, articulating what I thought were significant steps uh, to what I said was community, imp uh, community improvement. Learn to be the best parent you could be, get involved, stay involved, love for others and forgiveness. Those five steps were sort of the basis for my first book in terms of my children's children, raising young citizens to be, uh, raising young children to be good citizens. Um, and then sort of things have taken off from there. Wow, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Now, I wanna sort of unpack a little bit more around that, going back to the physician days, genetics. Talk to me about around what you noticed uh, around that field in relations to children. And can you explain what that actually actually is? You mean medical genetics in relation to children? Yeah. Uh, um, well, it's really, uh, you know, ch children are tied to families. So it's really the whole, uh, <coughs> it's the whole ball of wax. For children, oftentimes it's trying to make diagnoses early on for developmental disabilities. Within the first several years of life, children oftentimes screen positive for a variety of things, be that language delay, developmental delay, visual hearing problems. And it's to, one is to identify those, make sure they get the proper therapies, but then, then equally important is a, is a diagnosis because families wanna know what the diagnosis is, what the future holds, what's the prognosis, what do I need to be doing, and what are my interventions going forward? And for a lot of families we see, what's the likelihood of that happening for the next pregnancy? Uh, so medical genetics is crucial in terms of trying to unpack that information. Um, but a lot of times families would come in and say, I haven't had any children, but my uncles have had this condition with mental retardation or excuse me, intellectual disability is the current term. Uh, and what do we, how, what might be the diagnosis that we need to be on the lookout for? So whether that would be prenatal diagnosis or counseling or uh, actually seeing adults, even as a pediatrician, as a medical geneticist, I was seeing a fair number of adults uh, to try to make diagnoses. So it really is, uh, is one of those specialties I'd like to say from birth to death, but it really is from conception to death, or maybe even from preconception to death. Yeah, um, wow. So it really, it, for me, it sort of was a logical complement of things. And to jump ahead then, when I finished my clinical career the end of last year, I was lurking, working the last two plus years in a clinic for children with complex healthcare needs. Children that were uh, profoundly affected oftentimes needed to have feeding tubes, profound seizures or a variety of things. And so my pediatric background, along with my genetic background was a perfect complement uh, to end my career. Beautiful, beautiful. And have you noticed through that time, certain trends that have, that emerge through the development of, of different um, 
what, what I guess what what have been the, the the trends that you've noticed over the years of of practicing? Well, um, probably the big the big thing is um, is the ability to make earlier diagnoses for mm. for, uh, for example, there's one genetic diagnosis called the fragile X syndrome, where children have profound intellectual disability and as adults carry that same thing. Early on, the, the earliest a diagnosis was usually made was 36 months, and that's if you were lucky. Now, via earlier screening and earlier detection, that oftentimes happens within the first year of life. That's crucial uh, in terms of developing skills to intervene for the family and to work with the family. I think the other big trend is early when I came along, it's sort of like childhood cancer wasn't very treatable early on. And now it's very, and now it's very treatable, uh, but a lot of people would say, "Well, that's genetic disease. We can't treat that." Well, one that's probably malarkey, and that there's some treatment now that's coming along. But two, it's definitely malarkey in terms of you can always, always support the family, even if you can't reverse the condition. You can always be there to support the family in terms of what their needs are. There's mm. physical needs, there are medical needs, there are social emotional needs, uh, trying to meet via the proper liaison with the family and social services and support services in the community, uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. So there's always things that can happen with that medical interface with the families that to me has just been growing by leaps and bounds going forward. Yeah, beautiful. That's amazing, and and that's the thing of of watching those trends and and helping families and children navigate through those times. It would be very very rewarding to see see the development with the now amazing number of articles that you've written over over your time. Um, what would be, I guess, some of the some of the most memorable articles that you had written over that time that maybe got some, some feedback from, from those articles. Were there any standout articles or, or topics that you wrote about that were, that came come to your mind easily than, than others? Well, probably the, the milk, the, the biggest thing from a variety of things in terms of what I've written and, and has been the most impactful for me are the articles I've written about forgiveness. Forgiveness for me is one of the major journeys of life. Um, and it's been a journey for me to understand that. Um, one, one of the great little books of our time uh, was written by a sports writer by the name of Mitch Album uh, about a, his college professor who was dying from amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Uh, and the book was entitled Tuesdays with Maury. And the very simple lesson that came out of that book, and one, I mean, one of the very simple lessons is forgive yourself for what guilt or thought you're harboring, then forgive others and do it now. Mm. Uh, there is an immediacy to what needs to be done. Uh, at the same time, there is, uh, you, you have to understand the circumstances. If you were, say, you were, uh, you suffered from losing all of your family from the Rwanda massacre. Uh, I don't think you could do that forgiveness instantaneously. Mm -hmm. That takes time. If you, were, if you were significantly harmed by apartheid in South Africa, that takes time. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So it takes time to go through these processes. 
But one of the things I've learned is, you know, the forgiveness we, we when our three-year-old knocks our two-year-old down and we tell the th- three-year-old, tell him you're sorry, that's very different than the forgiveness we expect a teenager or a 20-year-old or a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old or somebody at my advanced age now in their 70s. Forgiveness is still a journey uh, and, it's, and it's a process. Um, and the other really thing, the really big thing to me about forgiveness is not just personal, but it's communal forgiveness. So many things that have happened uh, in life uh, where societies have wronged groups of people, be that the Holocaust, uh, be that in, the, in our society here in, in the United States, uh, the Civil War uh, and slavery. Um, it's not sufficient now, 200 years later said, oh, it wasn't me, it wasn't my fault. No, it was us. And we need to figure out a way to extend communal forgiveness and work toward reconciliation toward these issues. A a significant example, and I'll be brief, the American Medical Association was a a group of of doctors here in the United States, specifically excluded black doctors. Um, And and so uh, recognized uh, almost 15 years ago now that, I mean, that policy was corrected, but for a period of time, it was in place. They recognized it was wrong. And what could they do? Well, they could just say, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. And golly gee, we're not going to do it again. No, they took the significant step that what we did in the past was wrong, that we need to own up to it. Hmm. Uh, And for me, what that does is, is help them with their moral compass going forward. So yes, even if it wasn't us, uh, it is us, and we need to be a part of the moral compass going forward. So in that sense, what I said earlier, that the 12 words, I am the problem, I am the solution, I am the resource, it could be, we are the problem, we are the solution, we are the resource. Such beautiful and powerful words, those those three statements, because on so many levels, I mean, yes, in here in Australia, the, it's the whole Indigenous community and the reconciliation process you know, by, by that communal forgiveness, I think that's, that's a very, very powerful way to actually look at certain situations. And I think when you touched on around self-forgiveness, I think particularly when we talk with, with parents, a lot of the time, it's, it's the forgiveness of self, it's forgiveness of parents and forgiveness of, of, of children. It's a multi, as you said, it's a multi-leveled and it goes in different stages, but I think if we can stop and just to really look at that forgiveness process, it is, is very, freeing it's very uplifting it's very energizing isn't it uh, oh ab- absolutely and, and that has i mean the whole problem with um reconciliate being able to reconcile has to has to be a, with with that um so it, instead of just shouting at people and saying you're you're wrong we have to figure out how to engage uh, and go through that uh, and even if we think they're still very wrong we still have to figure out a path uh, forward. Uh, like I said, there's, you know, for many of these things, it's a process. I mean, oftentimes we're sitting around it in my household and I'll say something and I'll get one of those looks like, whoa, Bob, that's not what you write about. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, I have to take, and I have to take that step back and say, you're absolutely right. 
I mean, you're right. That, that was my humanity coming forward. And I have to recognize that uh, and uh, use that in a positive way going forward. We, but what a beautiful, what a what a beautiful space it is, though, Bob, to to have a, a family and friends around the table to call you out on it. That we from a space of love, from a space of care, and you actually acknowledging it and go, yeah, um, okay, let's have a conversation around that. That's beautiful. It's 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 it's, it's so lovely to hear that because it's refreshing. Of, I am the problem. I am the solution. I am the resource you know, going through it yourself. And we, and I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. Um, I'm the problem. I, I, um, I'm the solution. I'm the resource. If you, for the listeners, how can, how can they actually take that on board? What would be ways to look at those 12 words, those three questions or three statements and actually really incorporate that into, into their parenting into their day-to-day lives, into how they how they run everything in their lives. What would you suggest around that? Well, let me look at it two ways. One is sort of the, on a social sense, and then the other maybe is in a parenting sense. From a social sense, I am the problem means that that drug problem in that town, uh, that teenage pregnancy problem, that uh, gentrification problem, all of those things, they're not their problem, they're my problem. I need to be a part of that. I need to recognize that I am part of this whole process. I am the solution. So I need to be actively figuring out uh, how I can engage others to help propose the solution. I can't come riding in, riding in on my white horse saying I have the solution. I, ha- I have to recognize I can be a part of that solution. But then where the rubber meets the road is probably where I am the resource uh, in terms of being being able to say, okay, what do I need to do? What meeting do I need to attend? What do I need to write? Who do I need to call? Who do I need to talk with to try to get things going? What community process, resource, uh, you know, do I need to be, do I need to be a part of? So from a community standpoint, there's a lot, I think, there yeah. where, uh, I'm the problem. I'm the solution. I'm the resource. From from a parenting issue, I think it's it's very similar, but it's it's a it's a more nuclear issue mm. uh, in terms of I am the problem. Okay, this this encounter with my son today did not go well, and you can just adapt. You can just adopt that I'm the parent and I'm right <laughs> mentality, or you can say okay. Let's figure, let's figure this out. If I'm part of the problem here, what, what do we need to do? I need to be the solution going forward and I need to devote my resources to it. From a parenting standpoint, it's actually sort of what happens in the moment. Uh, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. Sometimes it's a combination. And, but then there's also the retrospectroscope uh, in terms of what happened um, and what can I do better going forward? And the retrospectroscope can be a, a self uh, thing. That's something you do yourself, but hopefully it's something you do with your, part, your partner or a trusted partner, whether that's your mate, your spouse, uh, your partner, your brother, your sister, your best friend, whatever. Somebody you can sort of say, you know, this is what happened. I did not like the results, 
what are your thoughts and what can I do better going forward? Mm. And that's the whole sort of paradigm that I've tried to articulate in this little, uh, what I call a gem of a book. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, it's a very short read in this conscious parenting using the parental awareness threshold. Wow. That's so, it's, when I hear those, those 12 words, it's very, uh, accountable it's very taking ownership it's very taking responsibility of my my thoughts and actions but it's also it's also a feeling of freeing and and empowering and knowing that i've got it like you know because sometimes as a parent we go through these stages like oh i don't know i don't know like i remember for my, my our first baby it was just like am i doing right am i doing this it was like no no the answers are inside trust yourself trust the instincts trust the resources internally and you've got this. And I think those three three questions have really accessed certain parts of the mind to really know and have that self-confidence and self-belief and self-awareness to, to, to know that you can you can do this and you've got this. And I think taking that in all aspects of life, it's a it's a great resource right there. Well, I have to admit that I um, borrowed the concept of conscious parenting, which other, there are other books out there with conscious parenting from a, <clears throat> excuse me, from a series um, that I was engaged in at the medical center that I worked at when I left. Uh, it was called Conscious Leadership. Uh, and it was trying to emphasize that leaders are consciously understanding where they are. Say you're in a meeting, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, and this is the most boring meeting you've ever been in in your lifetime. Um, you can say, you can just shut yourself off, or you can say, you know, this is really boring. Consciously, I recognize I'm being defensive. I'm closing this off and I don't want to learn anything because I know I'm right. Or you can say, you know, maybe there's something I need to be listening to. Maybe I should be more open to understanding here and I need to be more curious. So that conscious leadership was sort of based then on a line. You were above the line when you were open, curious, and ready to learn. You were below the line when you were defensive, right, and just closed off. Um, and, you know, you, it's, it's okay. You will be above the line and below the line. Uh, and sometimes within the same... Uh, hour of, of, of a meeting, just so long as you can recognize it. That's the same thing for me in terms of parenting. Yeah. That is, if you're above what I call the parental awareness threshold, you're at least thinking and you're at least engaging and understanding that maybe what you're doing needs some help, some, some adjustment, like fine-tuning your stereo, if you will, modulating the bass and the fade uh, and the left and the left and the right. Uh, or you could just say, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm the parent, go to your room. Uh, I think that's the wrong stance. Hmm. Yeah, um, and I think that's like that, as I said, once again, it's that whole being conscious around your, your thoughts and your emotions and, and, and questioning that. And as you said, in that example of, you're in, you're in that meeting, it's, it's the ability to catch yourself and it's the ability to, you know, play above. Well, we use playing above the line all the time. It's beautiful metaphor for, for life. And we, we talk within our family, within our, within our clients, playing above the line will lead you to the, the, the place of abundance and playing below the line will lead you to the place of scarcity. And so 
once again, it's, it's, it's such beautiful to hear a, a different way of understanding that and interpreting that. It's, it's amazing. I'm interested. What's, what's on the horizon for you? What are you working on? What's coming up? Where, where's the focus for you at the moment? Well, the focus right now for me is to, is to see if I can relaunch and re-energize enthusiasm for this book. It was originally published at the, at the high point of the pandemic. Hmm. Uh, so that became a low point in terms of book sales uh, for, the, for this kind of thing. Uh, so I'm trying to re get re-energized and, and promote the book. Um, at the same time, my next project uh, is working on something that I call uh, what really matters. Um, and uh, everyone can come up with their own scheme or paradigm, if you will. Mine is based on truth, trust, science, civility, diversity, and faith. Beautiful. Uh, and I'm, so I'm trying to, uh, I have set up an outline. I'm trying to meld those into a tangible uh, manuscript that will make some sense. Like so many things, even if it doesn't sell one copy, it will, it, it will have advanced me. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I, I should hearken back to when I first started writing those articles for the local newspaper, I oftentimes would ask my wife to read them ahead of time. And she would go, Ooh, I don't know about this one. This sounds a little preachy. And I said, I don't think you understand who I'm preaching to. She's what do you mean? I said, I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> that, that, that is, this is for me. Mm. This is, and it isn't until you force yourself to sort of write or use a keyboard uh, mm. or whatever to put your thoughts uh, actually down that you start to think about what it is I really need to be doing. So if, to me, those 160 articles that I wrote and collated into a book uh, were action steps for me. Yeah. Uh, and if they made sense to other people, great. Yeah. Um, and that's what the other books have sort of been that way too. So if this new manuscript uh, goes nowhere, hopefully it will enhance me and make me a better person and, and keep me engaged, which is what I want to do. Because I have retired from clinical medicine. I'm still very active as a children's advocate uh, for children in the state of South Carolina here in the United States. Uh, I'm the president of the chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I'm, I'm damned to do whatever I can to help promote parenting, uh, citizenship development, uh, community improvement, um, and children's advocacy. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely amazing. That, so one of my concerns is that, is that I felt like we have lost track of what it means to be a citizen. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's sort of what I'm trying, that I think parenting is the tool to raising good citizens. And I think it, I'll, one of the, and so I, I don't mean to, uh, I'll just end quickly if this is where, uh, where we need to be ending. But I remember when I was growing up, my parents divorced and my mother said, I just want you to be happy, Bob. I just want you to be happy. Well, when I, my first marriage ended in divorce, I remember telling my oldest son, I just want you to be happy. I now think I have that backwards. I had that backwards. What I want him to be is a good person. I want yep. him to be a good citizen. If he's a good citizen, I think happiness is the logical sequelae, the logical what happens after that. It's the byproduct, isn't it? Yes. It's the, yep, so true. 
So true. So where can, where can the audience, you know, follow you, follow you on your journey, possibly, you know, get a book or two, where can, where can they go? Where can they read up more? Uh, my website is uh, mychildrenschildren.com, www.mychildrenschildren.com. Um, and I have an ongoing blog uh, there where some I have various children's related issues and social issues that I, that I post. The books are posted there uh, and other information about me is there. Wonderful. So that's, that's the resource. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, Bob, really appreciate your, your time. And well, as I said at the start, we could be talking for hours. There's so many different areas that we could be covering. And I just wanted to acknowledge you and thank you for, for your expertise, your time, your generosity, and uh, really, really, really thank you once again. Well, thank you. It's been definitely been my pleasure. Wonderful. So there we go. Go and find out some more information. Follow the journey. Dr. Robert Saul, once again, thank you. Have a wonderful evening, morning, wherever you are in the world. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.